right, would you stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word? You're going to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 24 to 26. Pastor Bruce is going to start a new series this week called Don't Waste Your Life, How to Make Your Life Count. This morning's uh, message is entitled Living the Unwasted Life. Again, we're going to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that your word, Lord, touches our hearts. God, if there's anything, Lord, we need, Lord, in the message we need to hear, God, may it be that we can live a life that is not wasted. Lord, show us how to do that and challenge us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many have been enjoying the... The hot summer. We have one who's enjoyed the hot summer. I must admit, I would rather have it 102 degrees with 100, well, not 100, deg- not 100 humidity, because they don't be raining, um, but high humidity, high heat, than to be in the cold. That's me. Anybody else like that? Yes. Who prefers the cold? Yeah, you guys uh, moved to Alaska. And so, Well, here's the little thing. How many have laughed? any this week have you have you had your quotient of laugh you know it's good to laugh and so you know it's hot when are you ready for this you know it's hot when the birds have to use potholders to pull warm worms out of the ground you know it's hot all right you know it's hot when the trees are whistling for the dogs some of you will get that about five minutes later you know it's hot when you eat hot chilies to cool down You know it's hot when you break into a sweat the instant you step outside at 7.30, amen. And that was so true this last week. You know it's hot when hot water now comes out of both taps. Yes, it is hot. You know it's hot when you learn that a seatbelt buckle makes a pretty good branding iron. It's hot. Yes, you know it's hot when the temperature drops below 90 degrees and you feel a little chilly outside. It's a little chilly. It's now 90 degrees. You know it's hot when you discover that you can get sunburned through your car window. Yeah, you've been on vacation, driving down one side, you know, okay. You know it's hot when when the biggest bicycle wreck fear is, what if I get knocked out and end up lying on the pavement and cooked to death? You know it's hot when the potatoes cook underground, so all you have to do is pull one out, add butter and salt and pepper. You know it's hot when the farmers are feeding their chickens crushed ice to keep them from laying boiled eggs. You like that, don't you, Bill? You know it's hot when the cows are giving evaporated milk. You know it's hot. It has been a hot week, last two weeks, and it's supposed to get hot again this week. But before you know it, October will be here, and it will be beautiful weather here in the Midwest. Well, as you can tell, as as Kirk said, and as you've probably seen in your bulletin, we want to begin a brand new series this morning. And a series that we're calling Don't Waste Your Life. 
In fact, many of you uh, may know that we're borrowing, or I'm borrowing, the title of this series from the title of John Piper's book by the same title called Don't Waste Your Life. In fact, in, uh, in this very first message, this introductory message to this series, uh, borrowing a lot of his thoughts from that book. And, uh, and so if you've read that book, you may recognize a lot of, of, of his thoughts in this message this morning. And uh, the rest of the message, what we will do, or the rest of the series, is we will actually look at how to make our lives count. The series of title being, Don't Waste Your Life. And so the opposite is, well, if I'm not going to waste it, what do I need to do with it? I need to make it count. How do we learn that? And so we want to lay a foundation in this first message, and then the rest of the messages, I want us to look at different characters in the Bible, a handful of them, of ones who made their lives count, and then also we'll take time to look at one individual who wasted his life. And what did that look like? Uh, what, What went wrong in his life to where he wasted it when he came to the end of his life? Now, if you're like myself, most of us go through life, We drive through life, if I can say it that way, thinking, hey, I'm doing okay. I'm actually doing all right. Not doing great, but I'm not doing bad either. In fact, I mean, most of us, none of us, I I think here, really go through life thinking the thought, yeah, I'm wasting my life. You bet, that's what I'm doing. I don't know too many people that actually uh, think that about their life, and, and they verbalize it, they express it, they know that's where they're heading. Yeah, I'm wasting my life. But neither do we think, yeah, I am really, really making my life count. For most of us, we fall somewhere in the middle between wasting my life and making my life count. That's what we think about ourselves. We're kind of driving through life and, and we just think we're doing okay, we're doing all right. I'm, I'm doing good just to survive this life. Not wasting it, but I don't know if I'm really making it count either. But you know what, that's all right because I'm in the middle. But after 20 years of ministry, uh, I began to evaluate and reevaluate that. And I think it's kind of taught me that that's more wishful thinking than reality. The reality is we are either making our lives count or we are wasting them. And there's really no room in the middle. We're either making our lives count or we are wasting it. And after 20 years of ministry, I have seen both sides of this reality play out in the lives of people. In fact, how many of you have ever looked at someone's life and you thought to yourself, man, what a waste. They're wasting their life. You ever look at an individual like that? You're, you know, you probably think of somebody right now. And that's your thought. That's what you think. Because you see the decisions they're making. You see how they're living their life. You think, what a waste. They're wasting your life. Or maybe you've looked at another individual, a person, either even now or in the past, and you've thought just the opposite. You say, wow, man, they are really making a difference with their life. They are making their life count. And I'm sure you've thought about that with some people that you've come across in your past. Now, isn't it ironic, though, how it's always easier to identify that in other people? It's always easier to look at other people and to see in their life how they're either wasting it or they're making it count. It's so much easier to see that in other people's lives than in our own life. And that's why the greatest challenge during this series is really for you and I to look in the mirror and do an honest evaluation 
of our own lives. Now, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? We look in the mirror every day, but mainly for the purpose to make ourselves look better. Comb our hair, put our makeup on, fancy ourselves up a little bit. But I want to challenge you to look in the mirror of God's Word during this series. And let the truth of God's Word reflect back to you as you open up your heart and mind to His truths about this concept of making your life count versus wasting your life. Because this series isn't about us looking at somebody else and saying, this is for you. They're wasting your life. It's about us looking at our own lives and challenging ourselves. Am I living out the life that God wants me to live? Am I making that kind of difference that only comes through Jesus Christ? So let's begin with a question. And the question's in your notes. Is when you look in the rear view mirror of your life, what will you say? When you look in the rear view mirror of your life, what will you say? I've wasted it? Or will you say, I've made it count? Now let me encourage you with some good news. If at right now, at this moment, if, if you had to answer that question based on where you're at today in life, and for some of you, you're, you're, you're still young, others of us, we're middle-aged, and we're at the end of our life, no matter where you are at, in your stage of life, if you had to answer that question now, and you step back and you're like, boy, I don't like the answer if I, if I, if I really had to be honest about it. Let me offer you some good news. If you don't like your answer, for most of us here, we can change the answer. Lord willing, there's still time to make your life count. Now, that's great hope for most of us here this morning, right? Listen, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you do have to know a few great things that matter and then be willing to live for them and, if willing, be even willing to die for them. John Piper said it this way in a message, and I quote his words. He says, the people who make a durable difference in the world are not people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by a few great things. In other words, if you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of your life to roll on into eternity, you don't have to have a high IQ, you don't have to have good looks, you don't have to have riches, you don't have to have um, all the fancy things that we think make life count in this world. You don't even have to come from a fine family, you don't have to go to some great college. You just have to know a few great things that matter. Set your heart on them and live them out. But I also know, in a congregation of this size this morning, that not everybody here wants your life to count. Some of you don't care whether you make a lasting difference in this world. You just want people to like you. Oh, you would never say that. But if people would just like you, you would be just, well, kind of satisfied or if you could just have a good job with a good wife or a good husband and a couple of good kids and a nice house and, a, and long weekends that are stress-free and a few good friends and a little bit of money put away for retirement and a quick and easy death. If you could have all that, wow, you'd be satisfied. But that is a tragedy in the making. 
And yet that's what most people are chasing after in our world today. It's known as the American dream. How many of you have seen the latest commercial by Chase? Chase Financial. Chase, they have mortgage companies. It's Chase Bank. They offer credit cards and whatnot. And uh, I just saw it this last week. A new commercial by Chase. And, the, and if I remember the tagline of the commercial, it's basically this. Let us help you chase your dreams through the finances that they can offer you. And then if you go to their website, Chase now offers what they are calling a credit card, Chase Freedom Credit Card. It's pretty good little byline, tagline to call it credit card. Because the implication is, if you use our credit card, we can expand your freedom. Find freedom in charging it up, in buying all these things. Find freedom. But we all know the reality of that, don't we? This not offering you freedom. It is offering you bondage if you don't use your credit card correctly and wisely. And yet that is our culture. That is our society. That's the American dream. And so my goal in this first message is twofold. First of all, I just want to lay a biblical foundation for the rest of this series. A foundation out of God's word about what it means to not waste your life versus making your life count for God. And second, I want to challenge you, as I've already said, to evaluate what you're living for, what you're pursuing. And let me tell you, it's either pursuing and living for the creator or you're pursuing and living for the created. And when you understand those two concepts, I'm either living for the creator or I'm living for and pursuing the created, then it really comes down to two points in our message this morning. Because when it's all said and done, there are only two ways to live life. Number one, you can live a wasted life. And many people do. You can live, number one, a wasted life. Now, when you look across our audience this morning, you'll notice the ages are very diverse. The ages here are very multi-generational. From teenagers to young adults to, to middle-aged adults to senior adults. Which means that for the majority of you here today, your lives are still in front of you. Although that may not be the case for some, even if you are a teenager. Or in your 20s, 30s, or 40s. We never know when life will end, will it? You may have already lived most of your life. Even as a teen. Or a young adult. But if God wills, many of you have several decades to live on this earth before you die and give an account of what you did with your life. And oh, how God desires that all of us here not waste our lives. Do you realize Jesus believed that there is such a thing as a wasted life? Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. He believed there is such a thing as a wasted life. Notice what he said, first of all, number one. Jesus said a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. He said a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. And yet, how many people in our country, including believers, live as if possessions is what gives meaning to our lives? If you want, turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and look at this with me, what Jesus said in verse 15. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, watch out. Watch out. In other words, there's a warning here for us, Jesus is saying. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he makes this statement 
A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, Jesus is is telling us, he's warning us that accumulating things is not what life is for. Doesn't mean things are necessarily bad or evil or sinful. It's just that accumulation of them is not what life is all about. And then Jesus tells this story to emphasize this point he just made in verse 15. Notice what he says now, in, starting in verse 16. He tells a story. He says, The ground of a certain rich man produced a crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now, let me make one observation here. Notice the fool here, as God calls him, this rich man, didn't commit any major crime. He committed no crime. He was just sitting on his pile of stuff. Instead of being rich toward God. And God calls him a fool. According to the website Slate.com, this is their ty- uh, the, the heading of a recent article by Tom Vanderbilt. It says this, Americans are storing more stuff than ever. Tom Vanderbilt writes, Consider the four square feet immediately around you. Now consider that you are occupying your average per capita share of the great American self-storage empire. According to the Self-Storage Association, the U.S. now possesses some 1.875 billion square feet of personal storage space. The writer calls these storage units the catacombs of consumerism. What a great way to call it. The catacombs of consumerism. Self-Storage Association indicates that the number of primary self-storage facilities in the United States has nearly doubled since the year 2000. What this translates into is an industry that now exceeds the revenues of Hollywood. One in ten American households, according to a recent survey, owns self-storage space, an increase of some 75% from 1995. How did self-storage or mini-storage, as it's sometimes called, become such an enormous enterprise? Tom Vanderbilt, the writer, says in two words, American consumerism. No other country in the world spends as much on consumer goods. It's never been so easy for so many to amass so many consumer products. And who doesn't take pleasure from owning things? But living in the land of wants, not needs, creates its own dilemmas. As evidenced by the concurrent rise of self-storage units, we need more room to hold more stuff. But as consumption has grown, so too has the average size of the American house. So let's get this straight, he says. Houses got bigger, average family sizes got smaller, and yet we still need to tack on a billion-plus square feet to store our stuff. Remember, life, Jesus says, is not meant for the accumulating of things. 
Think about it. No sane person on his deathbed was ever comforted by his possessions. Jesus desires that none of us here this morning be called a fool by God because of the way we use this gift of life that God has given to us. And this is why Jesus not only said the first statement, but he also said, notice at number two, that it is better to lose your life than to waste it. Look again at what Jesus said in Matthew, our text that Kirk read for us. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 26. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is basically telling us here that it's possible to waste your life. And it's better to lose your life for his sake and the gospels than to waste it. Life is so short, isn't it? It's so fragile. It's so final. And you get one chance to live your life and then the judgment comes. Next year, do you realize uh, a phenomenon is taking place in our country? Next year the first of 79 million baby boomers in the U.S. will hit 65. The magic number of retirement, so, so it says. John Piper, who is now age 64, he says this, and I quote, One of the great tragedies of American culture is the way billions of dollars are invested to persuade people my age to waste the rest of their lives. It goes by the name of retirement. And the entire message is, you've worked for it, now enjoy it. And what is the it? 20 years of play and pleasure. I I have his book on the back. And I'm going to challenge you, if you haven't ever read it, to pick up a copy and read it. For a $5 donation. And you say, I don't have five bucks. Take it. It's your gift from our church. But in this book, he gives this illustration that comes right out of Reader's Digest in the February 2000 issue of this thing about retirement. Now, he's not against retirement. Understand that. He's, what he's saying is how we use our ta- retirement, what the purpose of it is for in relation to the kingdom of God and the eternal things in life versus the temporary things on this earth. And he gives this illustration out of the Reader's Digest. Listen to it. He says, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot boat, play softball, and collect shells. The American dream. Come to the end of your life and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. See my shells? That is a tragedy. And our culture is spending billions of dollars to persuade you and I to pursue and embrace that dream. But Jesus is saying to us, and he's saying it loud and clear, don't buy it. Don't buy that dream. Because that is exactly the way we will waste our lives 
in 10 years or 20 years or 30 or 40 or 50 years for some of us if we do not make some radical decisions now and decide to chase another way of life, to pursue a different mindset about what this life is about and why we are here on this earth. Listen, if you don't want to live a wasted life, you got to live with two motivations that kind of motivate you every day that you get up and go to work and why you're getting up and going to work and what your life is about. Let me give them to you here. Two motivations to live with. You must live with a fear. And when I say fear, I mean a healthy fear. And there are such a thing as healthy fears to motivate us to do the right thing. We must live with a healthy fear of wasting your life as well as a passion of making our life count. Have you ever seen the little plaque that reads, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How many of you have seen that plaque before? You've heard that poem. You've read it. Seen it. Maybe somebody's quoted it to you. Man, I've heard those words since I was a kid. And yet those words still ring true even today, don't they? The truth of those words has not changed. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Listen, if you don't want to live a wasted life, then set your heart on the words of Jesus Christ. Even set your heart on the words of this poem and live with a passion to make your life count and live with a fear of wasting your life, that that is a real possibility if we don't swim against the culture of chasing after things in this world and the American dream, but we chase a different way. Of life. So the first way you can live is to live a wasted life. And many people choose this way of life. But there's another option. There's another way. We can choose a different way. Number two, you can live an unwasted life. If there's such a thing as a wasted life, then that means there is also such a thing as an unwasted life. So what is an unwasted life? What does it look like? What is the essence of an unwasted life? Look at this. Notice it in your notes. It's a life that simply magnifies Jesus Christ to the world by the way we live here on this earth. The great passion of an unwasted life is to magnify Jesus Christ. In other words, to show the world the surpassing value of Jesus Christ by the way we live. This was the passion of the Apostle Paul. If you turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, you'll see how he describes what life is really all about. Paul makes this statement in describing it. In Philippians chapter 1, 20 and 21, he says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's passion was single focus. It was to magnify Christ in life and death. That is to make Christ look like the treasure that he really is. 
Listen, the reason God has given us life is so we can use it to magnify Him to the world by the way we live. And so you can think about it this way. Possessions are given to us so that by the way we use them, we can show that possessions are not our treasure, but Christ is our treasure. Money is given to us so that we can use it in a way that shows money is not our treasure, but Christ is our treasure. Talents. Some of you are multi-talented and you have gifts and abilities and they are given to us so that by the way we use them, we can show the world that it's not about our glory, but it's about the glory of Christ. I like what Piper once said in a conference and he said, and I quote, don't waste your life trying to look good. Spend your life making God look good. That's why you were made. And you know the weakest among you, the most ugly, have perhaps the greatest chance to do that. That means all of us here have a chance to do that, right? The rest of you are too good looking. You distract people. But if you've got a little hunch in your back, a little pot in your belly, and hair's not doing what you wish it could, you just might be a candidate to get attention for somebody else named Jesus. I like that. There's one central criterion that should govern all our decisions in this life. And that is, will this magnify Christ and help make him look like the treasure that he really is? When Paul says that famous statement, to live is Christ and to die is gain, he means that Christ, in essence, is more valuable than anything that this world could possibly offer. He's more valuable. He is the treasure. And it's a surpassing treasure. Later on in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul tells us how he shows that Christ is his treasure in life when he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. In other words, Paul displays the the value and the treasure and the worth of Christ by counting everything else as rubbish in comparison to what Christ is. Which means that the life that magnifies the worth of Christ, that is the unwasted life, is a life that uses everything to show that Christ is more valuable than anything else in this world. And you may be asking, well, practically speaking, what does this mean? What does this look like? Again, let's just take some of the things we are so familiar with, such as money. It simply means money is used now because Christ is not saying that money is evil. We know we need money to to operate in our society, but he's saying money is used to simply show that Christ is more valuable than money. It means food is now used to show that Christ is more valuable than food. You take your possessions such as your house, your car, your computer, your iPhone, iPod, iPad, it doesn't matter. All these things are used now to show that Christ is more valuable than any possession we may hold in our hands. Folks, it even means family and friends is an area in our life. It's a place in our life in which to show that Christ is more valuable than any of them. 
And so the key question really becomes, how can I use my possessions that God has given to me? How can I use my body, my one and only body, and time and career and money and family and friends to magnify Christ as more valuable beyond anything else in this world? The unwasted life, at the heart of it, at the core of it, is simply magnifying Jesus Christ by the way we live each and every day. And do you realize this is what will take place in heaven as well? Do you realize all of history is moving towards this climax? Listen to what Revelation says in chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It, it gives us a glimpse into what into heaven here when John writes in a loud voice they sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Do you see what's taking place in heaven? Christ is being magnified. And we are to do that now on this earth. And we are doing it for all the world to see so that they will get in on it and understand the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. So the most... You know, you may be asking, okay, Bruce, I hear you. I even agree with you. I, I, I can embrace this. But, you know, what is the secret to all this? Is there a secret to magnifying Christ in our lives? Well, again, if I may quote John Piper, he, I like how he says it. He says it this way, and it's coming up on the screen. He says, Christ will be most magnified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Christ will be most magnified in our lives when we are most satisfied in Him. And so, the most practical question that we can ask ourselves each and every day is simply, am I satisfied with Christ? Am I most satisfied in Jesus Christ? Or am I seeking satisfaction in something or someone else. My ultimate satisfaction, if you will. Now that's a tough question, isn't it? That's a hard question to get really honest about. You see, that's the type of question that you almost got to ask when you're right here. And I don't know about you, but as I have thought and contemplated the answer to that question for my life, I don't always like the answer. And it's so easy to think, oh man, yeah, my, my satisfaction is ultimately in Christ, and then it seems like I'm finding myself seeking satisfaction in just things or people or whatever this world has to offer. How would you answer that question? Where are you at in it? Listen, the way we magnify 
the supreme worth of Jesus Christ in our lives is by treasuring Christ above everything. And then making decisions that show that our joy is not ultimately in those things or the, even people, but it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So living the wasted life, I mean living the unwasted life, simply means magnifying Christ by the way we live. But here's the deal. we got a huge problem. Oh, do we have a huge problem when it comes to living the unwasted life. Notice this in your notes. This problem, this huge problem that we have. Because of our sinfulness, we don't naturally live an unwasted life, do we? In fact, because of our sinfulness, we naturally live a wasted life. The Bible explains it this way in Romans chapter 3, 23. For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. And what does it mean, this fall short of mean? Romans 1, verses 22 and 23, tells us what it means to fall short of the glory of God. What we did to fall short of that, it means this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. In other words, what Paul is saying here is we've traded the glory of God for images especially the one in the mirror. And so when the question is asked, what's my sin problem? What's at the heart of my sin issue? The answer is, as Paul defines it in Romans chapter 1, it's my preference for God's creation over God himself. And, And at the core, that's our fallenness. That's our sinfulness. In fact, the theological word that that is used to describe this is, is our depravity. You may have heard that before, our total depravity. We, in essence, we've traded the creator for the created. Instead of magnifying the creator, we now magnify the created. Instead of being satisfied in the creator, we seek satisfaction in the created although we ultimately never find it. You say, well, how serious is this? This sin problem of seeking and magnifying the created over the creator. Listen, it's serious enough that it keeps us from living an unwasted life. It's serious enough that it separates us from God. It's serious enough that our judgment is eternal punishment in hell. So we have a serious problem. And it has to be solved if we want to live an unwasted life. And thankfully, God's provided the solution. Look at it. The solution is Jesus Christ. In fact, only through Jesus Christ can we live an unwasted life. You see, God's solution to our sin problem, as most of you are aware of here this morning, is His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we want to live an unwasted life, then something has got to happen to us. The Bible says we must be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, what this word justified, what does that mean? I I don't really understand that. You can go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25 goes on to talk about what it means to be justified. If you remember, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 says, Being justified freely by His grace. Whose grace? 
God's grace through the redemption that is in who? His son, Jesus Christ, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood. That is our substitute through faith to demonstrate God's righteousness. Now, there's a lot in that verse. Let me just summarize it real quickly. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he died as our sin substitute. And he paid the price for our sin with his death on the cross. And when he did that, it satisfied God's righteousness, his wrath. And so that when we now put our faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross and his resurrection, our sins are now forgiven. And we are now justified in God's eyes. You see, what happens is I think we have lost sometimes this concept of being in Christ. So many times we think of our salvation as inviting Christ into us, our hearts, which that is a a right way to think about it, but it's both and. It's not either or. And I love the idea of being in Christ as well as we invite Christ into our hearts to be the, the ruler, if you will, the master of our lives. You see, when we are in Christ through faith, putting our faith and trust in what he did on the cross as our sin substitute and the payment of our sin. Man, we're declared righteous. We are justified. You say, why is that? Because Christ paid the penalty. I'm in Christ. And now when God sees me, how does he view me? I'm in Christ. Christ is righteous. There's nothing righteous about me. But now I'm in Christ and God looks down and he views me not as one who is a sinner. But he views me in Christ now as a son. As a daughter. One of his own. I'm in Christ and his his righteousness. And that is the essence of being justified. I now can have access to God. I now can have a relationship with God because he's a holy God and his sin, has the the punishment has to be satisfied. And in Christ, when we put our lives in him, it is. And so we have a serious problem here. But one of the problems of sin, though, is our hearts. Have you ever thought about your heart? Our heart's desires. And one of the biggest problems with our sin is our heart's desire to waste our lives away by living for ourselves, being our own God, and seeking satisfaction in the creation instead of the creator. And that's why something has got to happen within us and to us. And it's something only Jesus Christ can do. We need a new heart. We need a new life. And that's exactly what we get when we are justified through our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said it's what happens to us when we are born again in John chapter 3 when he was talking to the Pharisee named Nicodemus. You see, it's this new heart. It's this new life in Christ that now enables us to live an unwasted life. To worship the creator instead of the creation. To magnify the creator over the creation. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit within you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen to me. You will never, I will never live the unwasted life without first receiving a new heart and a new life through faith in Jesus Christ. You think about it, man. I don't know about your life and your heart, but I know mine. My heart and my life is so full of sin and it's so full of self. And that's why we have suppressed the truth, as Paul explains it in Romans. And we've exchanged God, the creator, for the created. And that's why we waste our lives living for self instead of being satisfied in Christ. You see, something has to happen to us. And that something is receiving a new heart, a new life in Christ. So let me just stop and ask the question. Do you have a new heart? Have you received new life in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and come to the point in your life where you have recognized, I can't do this on my own. I am a sinner in need. And I can't save myself. I need to be justified. And Lord, I come to you with a repentant heart. And I not only invite you into my heart and ask for the forgiveness of sins, but I put my life in you. And to receive a new heart, a new life, so that you can live a new way. A way that is different from this world. A way that is different from the culture of our American society. Listen, if you haven't, if you've never experienced this before, then run to the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, He is the starting point in living an unwasted life. And I know most of you here this morning have done that. But here's the problem for even us believers. We've received a new heart. We've received a new life. But man, we all sin. It jacks us up, don't it? It jacks up our life in a big way. And we allow sin to come back in, and we don't confess it, and we keep repeating the cycle of sin. And before long, this new heart, new life that God has given to us so that we can live this unwasted life messes us up. And now we are battling, we're struggling, and we're now pursuing the wasted life. You see, you know, how do you overcome that? It's no different. It's through the forgiveness of sin, except not as a sinner, but as a son to a heavenly father who wants to freely forgive you of your sin and to cleanse your heart all over again. 1 John 1, 9. And so sometimes as believers, I mean, we, we need to look in the mirror and we just need to realize, man, why, why is my satisfaction not in Christ? Because that's a reality for so many of us. We're just, we're just driving through life. We think we're okay, but listen, it's not. And the reason for so many of us, our satisfaction is not in Christ, is because we need to do business with Christ. We got junk in the heart. And it is overpowering 
our satisfaction in Christ. And so if you're here as a believer, run to the cross again. Run to Jesus Christ and seek his forgiveness and let him clean out that junk and to replace it with a new desire, a fresh start to find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. So this morning we've seen there are only two ways to live life. You can live a wasted life. And let me tell you, many people choose this way of life by chasing, chasing after the American dream, chasing after possessions and people in hopes of finding satisfaction. But in the end, when they stand before God, they will hear the word fool. And then that tragic word, wasted. But there's another way. You can live an unwasted life. And yes, it is true, fewer people choose this way of life, of magnifying Christ by the way we live. But in the end, when we stand before God, we will hear Him say, this life was not wasted. This life magnified the glory of my Son. And so as we come to the end of this message, listen, evaluate your life. Ask yourself and answer this question. When it comes to your one and only life, are you going to waste it? Or are you going to make it count? Are you going to throw your life away with the rest of the world? Or will you say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Oh, that none of us would say in the end, I've wasted it. But that all of us here this morning would be able to say, I've made it count. Not on my own, but through the power of Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed. And as we come to our response time in our service, you know, it's a pretty simple application. It's a pretty simple response time. It's just you and God and asking God to peer into the soul of your life and to expose the areas that need to change. And perhaps you're here this morning as an unbeliever. Listen, the starting point for living the unwasted life for you is to run to Jesus Christ, to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, and to be justified in the eyes of God through His death and resurrection. But for many of us as believers here this morning, We have a different type of business to do. And let me encourage you to do that. Run to the cross anew. Find forgiveness. Ask God to replace your heart's desire for the creation, but for Him as the Creator. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would work. And as the praise team sings, may we invite you to search our hearts and souls. May we be honest and then act. Lord, may we respond to you as you lead and direct us. In your name we pray. As the praise team sings, this is your opportunity.
You are all.